It is so great to be back with you. I say back with you because I was here this time last year. How many of you remember that? How many of you have slept since then? So that's fair. Um, but no, it is so great to be back. I, I was here last year and uh, I've been friends with your pastor, Pastor John Hill. Isn't he an awesome guy? I mean, he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I mean that. Like, he's amazing. You guys are so blessed. I'm telling you. I, I get to travel and, and work with a lot of different churches across the country. But this morning, I am in one of my favorite churches of all time. I mean that. Uh, uh, you know, BC, before COVID, I... Um, no one laughed at any of the other services. I knew I was just going to keep trying until someone finally gave in. So thank you. Um, but before COVID, John had, John had reached out and, and invited me to come. And, um, and then, of course, you know, the, the world got turned upside down. And so we were talking and, uh, and ended up working out for it to, to actually happen. So I'm here. And this is actually the first uh, day that I've attended church physically uh, since COVID-19. And so I got to worship with First Church on my first Sunday back in the church building. Awesome. I think that's pretty rad. Um, so we're having a great time. I'm so excited to jump in today and to bring God's word because we are living in such uncertain times. And if you're joining us today in the room or you're joining us online from your home, we welcome you. And we're so glad that you're here. And I believe that today that God wants to speak a, a very special word into our lives. And I, I hope that you've come ready and open to hear what he has to say to you today. Because I've spent a lot of time praying and, and thinking about this message and believing that we're going to have a great moment together, a God moment together today. So um, with that in mind, I want you, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. Uh, if you like, uh, we're going to start out in uh, Luke chapter 13. And as you're turning there in your, in your Bible, I just want to make mention of a couple of things. Uh, first of all, one of the coolest things about being connected to First Church has been the opportunity to uh, get to know your student pastor as well, Zach Fraley. And uh, my connection to First Church actually started there because John, Pastor John, and, and some of the people of the church, the leaders of the church, reached out to the organization I work with called Slingshot. We're a ministry that helps churches across the country with leadership and development. Um, and so Pastor John had reached out and said, hey, we're looking for a great student pastor to help lead the students and the families that at First Church, who do you know, and can we, can we work with you? Can you help us find what we need? And so he worked with our organization, and I got to work personally with John. That was my introduction to First Church. So I got to hear your amazing story, how you guys just rallied uh, many people that were part of the, the congregation years before, rallied to literally just build this house of hope right here in the middle of this wheat field, which I just love. It's so cool. And as an Indiana native, as a Hoosier native, I can, I can just tell you that it's amazing to drive through these county roads and then come upon this place. And even this morning as I drove through the fog to get here and I, I came down and, and I saw the church, I'm just reminded of God's faithfulness to you, First Church. You're so blessed. And if you're looking for a home church, maybe you haven't found one yet. And maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time. You're just joining online. You've never even been here. I want to tell you that these people are what make this church 
so great. And I'm delighted to be with you to share God's word today. In Luke chapter 13, uh, we're going to read a verse that, or a few verses from a story that Jesus tells. In fact, it says that then he told this parable, that's Jesus, tells this parable. Now, a parable is a short story with a really profound or important meaning. That's what it is. So it's a small story or a short story with a really big impact. In fact, most of the parables that Jesus tells, it's a device, it's a teaching device that he uses. And when Jesus tells a parable, he starts with something familiar, and then he usually moves into a place where he just kind of drops a grenade and walks away. And everybody has to say, whoa, what just happened? Because Jesus just had a way of disrupting everyone's comfort. And so in this story, he tells uh, this parable. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. So these are two very normal things at that time in the audience that's hearing Jesus, fig trees, and vineyards. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So disappointing, right? So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we can cut it down. Today, if I had to give a title for this message that I'm delivering, it would simply be check the tree. Check the tree. Really this story, and I'll go back here, this story is a story about the patience of God. Here we find that there's a couple of people having a conversation about a fruitless fig tree. And you see the disappointment, because the expectation, right, is that there would be fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he's then disappointed. Disappointment is what happens when expectations aren't met, right? So he's, he's disappointed, and so he has this almost violent reaction to it, seemingly. Cut it down. It's taking up the soil, so what could have caused him to be so strong in his response? Well, we notice that he says, I've been doing this for three years. He's just fatigued. He's tired of coming and expecting something to be there that never is. And so in his indignation, he says, it's taking up soil. He has to be a steward of that soil. So he says, get rid of it. But what I find is, so that, that, that's a very normal part of the story. What isn't normal is verse 8, where Jesus kind of interjects this dialogue that the man who is caring for the vineyard, he says, no, 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 to the owner of the vineyard, no, 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 wait. Give me one more season, one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll tend to its roots. I'll fertilize it. I'll do everything I can. Let's give it one more year. And of course, this is a, a glimpse of the love of God for all of us in this room. 
I don't know about you, but I'm almost certain that I've worn out the patience of God. I've tried at least. If I've worn out the patience of my parents, and I did when I was a child, then I certainly have worn out the patience of God. And yet, what is the nature of God that we find in this parable? It is one of long-suffering. It is one of patience and waiting and longing for us to do the right thing. In fact, the Bible says that God is willing that none should perish. perish. None. He's long-suffering, willing that none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. That's God's heart. And so we find this man who comes looking for figs. And he doesn't find them. And so what can we learn from this story today? Well, the first thing you need to know is that the fig tree in those days, and even today, the fig tree can be somewhat finicky. In that, it can come into leaf, which should be a sign that it's going to bear fruit, but oftentimes the fig tree will leaf but not bear frig, figs. And so what happened in this story is Jesus is saying that the owner of the vineyard comes, he's, he's, he's looking for it, he doesn't find it. Well, later in the New Testament, Jesus is actually walking along, so he tells the story, the parable, but then later in Mark's gospel, he's walking along with his disciples and he has an encounter with a fig tree. So let's read it. Excuse me. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, they, that's Jesus and the disciples. As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now I love this right here. Because this, this, these three words they tell me that God is for us. And you say, how do you get that from that phrase? Well, think about this for just a minute. Jesus was hungry. I could just park and preach on that. That the God of the universe would limit himself to time and space, which he created and is not a part of. He stands outside of time and space because he's God. The God of the universe would subject himself and limit himself to human form in the person of Jesus. This is the gospel, that God came in flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas, right? And the Bible says that when God shows up, he shows up like us. Prone to being tired, being weary, and even being hungry. Jesus is hungry, that means that there's nothing you're going through today that he doesn't understand. He limited himself and subjected himself, rather, to the human experience so that he could say with confidence, I know how you feel. See, you have someone who's rooting for you today, and his name's Jesus. He was hungry. He knows what that's like. And whatever your need is, Jesus has already felt it in his own experience. And he invites us to come to him with our burdens. So he's hungry. God is hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Here are those figs again. They have the appearance, but when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now Jesus moves from hungry 
to hangry pretty quick. You know what it's like to be hangry, don't you? Years ago, our marriage counselor, me and my wife, he, he told us, he said, hey, 80% of your conflicts could be avoided if one of you would just eat a meal first. <laughs> some of you don't believe me. I'm telling the truth, and that was great advice. And some of you need to take it. It's free. Just go ahead. Because when you're hungry, you get irritated very easily. I know, like, super Christians don't, but for the rest of us. And so here he is, hungry, and Jesus has this almost violent reaction. You say, whoa, what was that? But understand this. The parable shows us the character and the nature of God that's long-suffering towards us, that we would bear fruit. But this story reminds us that at any given moment, the master can come and ask for fruit from any tree that he likes. And when he comes and he asks, what will he find? When I was a boy uh, growing up, one of the first ways that I began to earn money is picking up pecans. We had three pecan trees in our yard. Now, when I said the word pecan, some of you are like, what is that guy even talking about? It's pecan. Tomato, tomato. But we were picking up pecans as kids, and we would put them in these grocery bags and take them to the farmer's market, and it was amazing. I could walk around my yard for a couple of hours. We had three large pecan trees. I could pick up a bunch of pecans. I could take them, and I'd have a new video game for the weekend. It was awesome. But here's the thing that I learned about picking up pecans. Pecans grow in these, these husks that are almost like, they have the feel of cork to them. They don't look like cork, but they feel like cork. And when the pecans begin to come in, if, if that husk is green, that's a good sign. Because that means that over time it's going to open up and eventually the pecan will fall out or you can take a stick and hit the tree and knock them on the ground. But when it was pecan season, when we would go out and we would see on the ground all of the pecans that had fallen, we knew that it was going to be a bad year if those husks were black and not green. In fact, even before they would fall to the ground, we could look in the tree and we could see that they would turn black at times. And I'm not sure what caused that, but for whatever reason, anytime that would happen, it would be a total bust. There'd be no pecans. They'd all be rotten. They were very finicky, much like this fig tree. And so as Jesus approaches this tree, he has the right to demand fruit from it. He's hungry. But he stands next to it and he sees that there's no fruit. The tree gave the appearance of being fruitful, but it was of no use to Jesus because it actually had no fruit. And there's a very important challenge in this message for us today, in these verses for us today. Because our lives can have the same type of proclivities or tendencies that we find in this fig tree. And that is we can have the appearance of one thing, but be something else altogether. And this is both a word of encouragement, but it's also a word of caution. 
Because here we find that the disciples are walking with Jesus. And if you read the rest of this verse, they go back the next day. And the tree that Jesus had cursed when he was hangry is dead. In one day, it's dead. So what do we learn from this? I believe it's simple. And if I had one point to, to make today, to give you, to walk away with, to take and to, to meditate on or reflect on this, we could be this. The proof of our confession is in our living. The proof of our confession is in our living. Again, Jesus goes and asks for fruit but finds none. The fig tree had the appearance of being fruitful but had no fruit at all. We live in a world where it's easy to say, I'm a Christian. But the proof of our confession of what we confess or what we profess is in how we live. Jesus said it like this, a good tree cannot, or excuse me, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Pretty simple, right? I think what Jesus was saying is simply this, a fruitless tree reflects faulty roots. There was something wrong with the root system of these trees, it was disease, something was hindering it from bearing fruit. And so as we look into our own lives today in this message, check the tree, may we reflect on the ways in which we can be more fruitful for God. And understand that when we are fruitless in our lives, it's an opportunity for us to look at the roots What's causing this to happen? Because when the fruit inspector comes, he wants to find more than bare branches. And by the way, God hasn't called you to be a fruit inspector and he hasn't called me to be one either. This is about self-reflection, not our neighbor. So there must be evidence that backs up that we are who we say we are. So, in 1 John, John writes it like this, to get to the root of the issue. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Now watch this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I'm gonna pause there, verse eight, and say that this person cannot bear fruit. The one who claims to be without sin, John says, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So John is writing these words. Now stay with me for just a moment because we're gonna mix metaphors. So we have fig trees and vineyards. But John switches the metaphor and he starts to use light and dark. But it's along this theme of pretenders and how easy it is to give the appearance of one thing but be something else altogether. And John is concerned about this for these Christians. In fact, when John writes this letter, that's what it was, it was a letter that he wrote in the first century, now John was one of the first followers of Jesus, one of the first disciples. 
So after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, John goes out with the 12 and the others, and they begin to preach the gospel, and people start coming to faith in Christ and getting baptized. And in the first century, all over the Roman world, the church is beginning to grow as the hope of the gospel permeates every sphere of society, rich and poor, race, every race, every tribe, every nation, every time. People are experiencing the hope of the gospel. And it's transforming communities. But John is concerned. And so he writes three letters, actually. But this first letter that he writes, he brings up this issue. And he says that if we're going to say we're in the light, then we actually have to live as though we're in the light. And to live in the light means a couple of things to John. And the first one is, To live in the light, we have to come to the place where we admit our need for a savior. Now that may seem overly simplistic to you, but here's what John was addressing. You see, after John had preached the gospel and the hope of Christ and started those churches, some people came after him and started teaching some other things. They started saying things like, people don't need to repent of anything. People don't need to ask for forgiveness from God, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh to do all of that for us. Just be a good person. Live a good life. That's all. And John steps in and says, hold on, time out. If anyone says they're without sin, they're a liar. The truth isn't in them. That tree cannot bear fruit. It will not bear fruit because at the foundation, the root, it starts with this idea of humility that says, God, I need you. You don't, know how to, you don't have to know how to pray perfect prayers, thank God. You don't have to know how to be the perfect person all the time. Let me tell you that God wants to work in your life right where you are, but it starts with this understanding that you need God in your life. For the person who has no room for God in their life, for his work to be made manifest in them, for the people that are resistant to his work, to his change that he wants to bring, John says that person is deceived. So the posture of the believer is always one of teachability. It's always one of God show me where I err. God show me what is it in my life today that doesn't reflect you. But the one who walks around saying, I'm good. Jesus is my homeboy. It's good. We're good. Time out. Hang on just a second. Jesus is our best friend, but at the same time, he's our Lord and Savior. And that means he puts demands on our life. Now, this isn't about earning God's favor or working harder so he'll approve you more. No, no, no. He loves you because he created you in his image right where you are. He loves you. Now see, some people stop with that message and that's the end of it. That's all there is to it. And John was saying, hey, that's what's happened to some of you. Some people have come along and said, hey, you're good. God loves you right where you are. Now that's true. But there's more to that truth that we need if it's going to affect us. And the rest of that truth is, yes, God loves me right where I am, but he also doesn't want to leave me that way. He wants to make me more like him. He's got a plan and a purpose for me. The Bible says that he's called me to abundant life. 
And so that's an invitation for me to step in and receive all that he has for me. But for the person who says, I'm good. Careful, check the tree. Because if you aren't dead, God's not done with you. And he still wants to work in your life and grow things in you, fruit in you that you didn't even know that you could bear. Those that were saying John to John, we don't need to repent. John was saying any person who says, I have no need to repent of anything, is the same as a person who says, I'm walking in the light, but are in fact walking in complete darkness. That's what John says. Years ago, I was um, uh, at a family reunion with, on my wife's side of the family. Every other year, there's a big reunion, large family, and they gather in eastern Kentucky. That's not where my wife's from, but many of her family are from there. And so we, we've made that trek, that trek I don't know how many times. And it's always a great time to be with everyone. And in one particular trip, uh, we, we, we have the gathering at this um, large recreation area, outdoor park. And for years, we had seen some of the caves off in the distance. There's these caves and there's maps and places you could explore. We just never decided to do it. Um, and for some reason, this one particular year, we decided, let's go spelunking. And so we got the cave maps, and it was a self-guided journey, and it was me and my brother-in-laws and a few other people. We went out one morning. We spent the whole morning spelunking and exploring caves. It was awesome. Uh, came time for lunch, and half that group said, hey, let's, let's go back to the, to the shelter, and uh, it's called a day. And, and me and my brother-in-law and one other member of our party we were like, no, we're not done exploring yet. We got to see more. And so um, we decided to go deeper into the woods and deeper into this cave. And it got to the point, uh, we, we reached this moment in the cave where I remember looking, uh, and I say looking, it's pitch black. We had our, we had our lights on, on our helmets. And, and I remember looking around and just thinking to myself, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea how I got here, and I really don't know how to get out. And so we had this conversation, do we turn back and try to find our way back out or do we keep going? Because we were told if we keep going, we'd eventually come out, but we weren't sure. Never gone this way before. I can tell you that after two and a half hours of crawling through that cave, when I saw the light at that end of that tunnel, it was like salvation, man. I was so ready to get out of that cave. And if you've ever been in a in a cave, hundreds of feet in the, you know, in the ground and came out and come out of it, you realize just how dark it was in there if you step out into the sunlight. And that's what it was like for us. And there was actually like a party that had gotten together to try to come find us. It was a big ordeal. Um, we were safe with a really cool story. But when you're in the dark and you step into the light, Everything changes. Do you still remember what that moment was like for you, the moment that you stepped into the light? The moment where you said, God, I need you in my life. I can't do this on my own anymore. I don't know what drove you to that place. Maybe it was a failed marriage, broken relationship, a loss of income, loss of a loved one. Whatever it was that drove you to that place, when you step into the light, you will never be the same. 
because of what you've seen. And what John is saying is when you've seen the love of God, you can no longer walk the same in the world. Christian, the grass should be greener for us. The sky should be bluer. We should celebrate the things that God celebrates because we are people that walk in the light. And what I would say is this, everybody in this room has an opportunity to step into that light, to come into that knowledge of who God is. But so many times we're blinded by the darkness that's around us. First John, look at what he says, he continues. If anyone claims I'm living in the light and hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. So John says that if anybody says that they're in the light, but they don't recognize their need for God to transform and change their life, they're in the dark. But they're also in the dark if they claim to be in the light, but actually hate their fellow believer. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble, but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Simply put, love is the distinguishing mark of the people of God. Jesus said it like this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All men will know that you're my disciples if you go to church every week. He didn't say that. All men will know that you're my disciples if you give. He didn't say that. All men will know that you're my disciples By your love. Now, some of those other things are a part of the experience and what we do, but it is not the proof. In fact, John says that the real litmus test, the real litmus test for love for God is love for neighbor. The proof of our confession is in our living. And John is making the argument that love is the distinguishing mark of the people of God. It should set us apart and separate us. Not in an elitist way, but in a way that we serve the world in which we live out of a heart that loves because God loved us. Now, I know many of you in this room, you know, you read that verse a minute ago and John's talking about anyone who hates his fellow believer. I don't think there's many people walking around at First Church saying, I hate you to one another. At least I hope not. Like, that's not reality. But we need new definitions of love and hate. Because we say things like, I love pizza, and I love this movie, and I love my kids. And those are all different types of loves that need ordering, right? Prioritized. In the same way, hate needs a, a better definition because we think of that as animosity. But when John's talking about hate, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about an attitude of indifference with which I have grown comfortable. Now, as you wear that definition of hate, how does that change it? Because hatred is not just defined by the presence of animosity, but by the absence of love. It's indifference for the 
Christian. That's what hatred is. It's indifference. It's what happened in the story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan where a man falls into the hands of robbers and is beat up and left for dead in a ditch. And the Bible says that a man walks by who's a priest, a priest, but he doesn't stop. And then a Levite, another person who was a person of influence in the culture could have done so much to alleviate the suffering. Instead, the Bible says he too walks by on the other side. And then, of course, we know the story of the good Samaritan, the least likely person. Most people didn't even believe Samaritans were in the favor of God. They didn't even believe they were children of God. A lot of people didn't. And Jesus uses that to show what indifference really is. Indifference looks like hate in the kingdom of God. And that's what John is saying. Now, we all know indifference. Indifference is when we just... We stop caring about the things that we should care about. Um, my two boys, 12 and 15 years of age, they came down stairs just a couple weeks ago. I could tell they had gotten to a scuffle upstairs. I could hear them. And um, so I hollered for them to come down and they had gotten in a fight. And um, I just started to you know, do my investigation as you do. And, I could tell that my oldest son is kind of faking it and he's acting like he's hurt. He's saying, he punched me, he punched me. And he's like trying to make tears come to his eyes, you know, I can appreciate that. So, um, but at the same time, I got to get to the bottom of this. So I started asking him, you know, what happened, what happened? And he keeps telling me that his brother hit him. So I looked at his brother and I said, did you hit your brother? And he said, yes, but not in the face. Yes, but not in the face. Somewhere in his mind, he thought, hey, you know, this isn't so bad. I mean, I won't hit him in the face. It's just a gut punch. Come on. I'm sure your kids never fight. But for my children, I had to remind them that you are your brother's keeper. And just because you don't hit him in the face doesn't mean you succeeded today. Because dad wants to see more fruit on this tree between you two. You know what I mean? God is coming and he's looking at his children. What will he find when he sees us, how we're living and treating one another? God's idea of love is love in action. Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but indeed in truth. So those that claim to love as Jesus loved are walking in the light as long as they love and the love of God is being made manifest in them and showing up in their lives. But the one who claims to walk in the light but is apathetic toward others, toward the needs of others, or who possess no desire to make a difference in the world, John is saying that person is stumbling through the dark still. So how to bring it back to the story in the beginning? The parable of the patient and long-suffering man who owned a vineyard and waited day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year for fruit to come forth from that tree. 
In the same way, we have a God who loves us right where we are, but doesn't want to leave us that way. He's calling us to himself. So how can we avoid becoming that fruitless tree? I'll close with this thought. Jesus said it like this. And yes, it's the same John who's writing this story about Jesus that we've been reading from today. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is Jesus. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, right? You all know that. A branch doesn't get cut off and thrown to the side and then bear fruit. It has to stay as a part of the tree. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My encouragement to you this week is to write that verse down, to think about it, And to discover what it means to abide or to remain, Jesus said, in me as I also remain in you. See, there are many things that will come and will catch your gaze and try to steal your affection away from God, from his best for your life and for your family. It happens. So unless we remain in him, We can soon find ourselves being that branch that's cut off. But here's what this verse promises us. That when we do the connecting, God will do the perfecting. When you do the connecting with God, he'll do the perfecting in your life. So as you check the tree this morning and you see that there might be fruit that's not there that should be, here's the answer. Connect with God. Let him do the work in your heart and your life. This isn't about you trying to become a better person or pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps and just try harder. No, this is about leaning in to Jesus in humility and saying, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. So this week, as you reflect, I wanna encourage you to be a person who goes out of your way to show a love that's tangible and that's real. How can we spread love and hope during a time and a season of uncertainty and fear? I believe that this message is for us and this hour belongs to the Christian who will be a fruit bearer for the kingdom of God in these hours because they are truly looking. The world is looking for hope and they're looking for love. Will they find it when they meet us? Will they see God when they meet us? Will they be more prone to believe when they see us? We should be known for the love of God. And that's my prayer for all of us today. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this moment and I thank you for this amazing church called First Church that you have built. Lord, it's not a building, although we're standing in an amazing one. It's not about a person, a pastor. Lord, it's about you and it's about what you wanna do. And we're just here to stay in step with you. So God, I thank you for every family, for every person, for every individual that's gathering online and that's in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them and draw them to you, closer to you. And as we identify areas of our lives that are fruitless, I pray that you'd give us the courage 
to lean into you and to humbly ask for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, we want to be the hope of the world that you've called us to be. Because God, what you've done for us truly, you wanna do for everyone. So God, I pray that as we have freely received, that we too would freely give in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you this morning, First Church.